0: hi welcome to book Buzzed, where we give new looks to old books i'm hannah
1: i'm
2: michelle and i'm grace hi guys hi happy new year <laughs> happy new year <laughs> yeah i mean it's we're so far into the new year it's not even worth getting into um <laughs> I'm very excited about this book today. I've been wanting to read this with you guys I think since we met. I think I spoke about this like in one of our first conversations about how much I love this book. Yes. So I'm really excited that we're doing it today. Um. So it is The Hunchback of Notre Dame by Victor Hugo. Although in French it's still called, um, also there's so many French words in this book that I'm going to murder throughout the whole <laughs> the whole conversation and I've got French on my Duolingo <laughs> and it's not helping at all. Um, <laughs> so the, but in France it's still called Notre Dame de Paris or de Paris um, so it's only the English version that actually has the hunchback in the um in really? the title yeah, weird. I wonder why it's because of the publisher, the English publisher that um, translated it into English that in what well, the book was released in 1831 and then the publisher released it in English in 1833 and he made the decision to change it because he said that the book is. He wanted to change the focus of the book away from Notre Dame and more onto Quasimodo, the hunchback of Notre Dame. Yeah. Um, that makes sense. But you guys haven't read this before, have you? I had not. No,
0: no. This is the first time. Was your
2: only exposure the Disney movie? Yes. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I actually really wanted to watch the movie again before we did this chat, and I didn't have time. Oh, I wanted I to, too. It's movie. a great
1: movie. It's a great movie.
0: It's been a long time since I've seen it, and I did want to rewatch it to be like, what are my points of comparison now that I've read the book?
2: Yes, because I feel like it's so... It, the, the movie is, is a completely different story. Like, it shouldn't even be called The Hunchback of Notre Dame. It's not even the same
1: thing.
0: <laughs> same names of the people. That's about it. Same
1: names. Same names. Yeah. Same. same names. That's about it. I thought the first part was like so dense with political and setup. am I I mean, I was like, oh my yeah. goodness, it was kind of hard to comb through, even though we know that part um of history. it It just seemed. Like I almost had to take notes if I really wanted to figure out what was going on. I I read the full version of this book because I
2: studied it in my undergrad. I did a whole semester just reading this book and annotating and analyzing everything. And I loved it. And I really wanted my mum to read it, but I gave her the abridged version because I knew that all of that shite, she just wouldn't she would just be bored and um all of the chapters and paragraphs and all of the descriptions about the architecture and the history of the architecture and the building and all the way down to like what the chicken is doing on the street and then up to the king in his tower like it is so vast that um i knew she wouldn't enjoy it so i got her the abridged version which is obviously just so much more condensed to the actual plot line um but yeah there's a lot it, it is it is quite dense And if you comb, when you comb through it, it's very interesting,
1: but it's not exactly like light reading. No, no. I wouldn't (laughs) say it was light reading. No. Do you guys, can I ask a question about that really quick? Like, do you, but even so, I would not have wanted the abridged version. Like, I still have the unabridged version. Like, I just want... I thought that would be general consensus for us. I just wanted to make sure. Like, we would want the whole thing still. Yeah, okay.
2: Yeah, because it's so... Yeah, like, I would never want to read it not as it is. And another... I'll do a plot summary just now, but another interesting thing about this book is that in the unabridged version, I've got the Oxford edition. I don't know what editions you guys have. That's what I have as well. Yeah, so there's a few chapters in there that actually weren't in the original publication of the book um and Victor Hugo really wanted them to be in there but he didn't finish them on time so then he finished them like a a few months to a year later and he put them in the second edition of the book and those chapters are just entirely on the architecture they're those like really boring chapters in like the third book or something where it's just like a whole 50 to 100 pages of just like buildings um building definitions so cool it is cool because I would like to see it how it was intended to be seen. Right. Yeah. Although we are reading it in English and it's meant to be in French, but that's
1: fine.
0: <laughs> that can't be helped. Right.
2: And so,
1: <laughs> well, and so some that I some of it I'm listening to, right? And the person who is he's in English reading, but um, but he also is pronouncing in French. So then when I'm reading, right, I'm like, oh, that doesn't look like that doesn't how look how the way it sounds. Said it. <laughs> like then I have to like catch back up and go who you know whatever but it was kind of cool to hear the names pronounced in French like the names of buildings and the names of like as he's speaking about things it was kind of interesting to hear that because I would never hear that otherwise
2: yeah because there's so many um like squares and buildings and town halls and stuff in the book that he's talking about which are in Paris but it's like the the place to grave. like I have no idea <laughs> so I just skip over those I just try not to even read them yep um yep (laughs) but yeah I mean the book is like 800 pages long so this is quite a long plot summary I have really tried to condense it um but I'll just give a little bit of context first so as we said the book is published in 1831 but it's set in 1482 the whole premise of the book is that it's meant to be like a love letter to the French gothic and traditional French architecture, lifestyle, all of this stuff, we'll get into that a bit later. So it's 18, um, sorry, 1482, festival of fools in Paris, I don't know if that's a real thing. Quasimodo, who is the deaf um, bell ringer of Notre Dame is elected the Pope of Fools for being the ugliest person in Paris. He's not aware that he's being made fun of because he's deaf. At the same time, there's a poet called Pierre Gringol, I'm gonna say, um, and he tries to get people to stop watching Quasimodo and listen to his play. Um, he also is quite important we'll go back to him there's an archdeacon Claude Frollo again not sure if that's how you say that who stops the parade and orders Quasimodo return to the tower in Notre Dame he basically adopted Quasimodo when he was abandoned as a baby so Frollo is like Quasimodo's father for all intents and purposes um Pierre Gringor gets bored of this whole spectacle and starts admiring this gypsy dancing in the street her name is Esmeralda obviously everyone knows her he then follows her home and witnesses Quasimodo and Frollo trying to abduct her but she's rescued by Phoebus who is also in the Disney movie very very famous character um Quasimodo is captured and taken away Gringor follows Esmeralda to the Court of Miracles which is kind of in the Disney movie but it's so different here and it's basically the place in Paris where all of the beggars and disabled people that are beggars suddenly become not disabled and not beggars because it's a sham Um, and Esmeralda agrees to marry Gringor so that he doesn't, he isn't hanged. Quasimodo goes on trial for the kidnapping, he's sentenced to two hours of public torture, In the face of this jeering crowd, Esmeralda offers him water. He then obviously falls in love with Esmeralda. Nearby, there's this crazy old lady called Sister... Now, this one, I don't know. Good Duke. G-U-D. No, G-U-R-D. Sister G. Yeah, let's just go with that because I can't say it. I was going to say glued I don't know Sister G Who is screaming at Esmeralda Claiming that the gypsies Stole and ate her child 15 years prior She's important We'll go back to her So Esmeralda's in love with Phoebus Who saved her Frollo is obsessively in love With Esmeralda Like to the point that it's insane That song Hellfire In the Disney movie Accurate is also in love with Esmeralda Frollo convinces Phoebus to try seduce Esmeralda so he can see if she is actually a heathen. When Phoebus seduces her, Frollo stabs Phoebus in the back flees, Esmeralda faints and is then charged for Phoebus's murder, she's tortured she confesses to the murder Frollo visits her in jail and declares his love and says I'll save you and she's like no you're disgusting, you're a demon, I don't want anything to do with you so she stays in jail she's tortured in the public square and when she's being tortured she sees Phoebus across the square who she thought was dead he's with another woman, she's absolutely heartbroken and thinks oh my god I'm literally I've confessed to a murder for no reason and at that moment Quasimodo swings down from Notre Dame, rescues her, holds are up at the top of the tower and starts yelling sanctuary like in the disney movie as well um, so esmeralda then stays in notre dame because otherwise she's gonna die she's repulsed by quasimodo but she can see that he's like trying really hard to protect her and be really cute at the same time Gringoire and all of the other vagabonds from the court of miracles plan to save esmeralda from notre dame um so that she isn't eventually hung so they start attacking the cathedral in the middle of the night quasimodo defends it throws things at them kills loads of them At the same time Frollo comes in, in disguise, tells Esmeralda he can save her, takes her away from Notre Dame, then she realises that it's Frollo and she says no, I would rather die than go anywhere with you, so he gives Esmeralda to Sister G to say hold her and I'm going to go get the guards. While Sister G is holding Esmeralda they realise that esmeralda is sister g's long lost daughter from 15 years ago that she thought was eaten by the gypsies and sister g is esmeralda's long lost mother this is like classic victor hugo like Les Mis type garbage um anyways and in the end esmeralda is captured by the the king's archers and they hang her and the book closes with quasimodo watching frollo Witness Esmeralda's hanging, and he's so distraught that because he knows Frollo is somewhat responsible for this, that he pushes Frollo off the tower. Frollo dies, Quasimodo disappears, and then years and years later, um, Quasimodo's skeleton is found in a grave cradling Esmeralda's skeleton. And that's how the book closes. It's quite sad. Aww, <laughs> yeah, very <Yay>! sad. <laughs> Sorry, that was so long. Um, But yeah, so there's, it's, it's very, very different to the Disney movie, obviously, like, you can't go into this thinking that you're going to get a happy ending and whatever, because there's so many things like Phoebus is the biggest fuck boy I have ever read in any book like that podcast, Fuck Boys of Literature. I don't know if they've done an episode on Phoebus, but they really should. They really should. (laughs) Can you like define what that means? Like a tool? Is that what you mean? Mm -hmm so yes so he like goes around Paris seducing all these women telling many there's lines in the book where it says um he told Esmeralda like a thing that he'd rehearsed, saying I love you you're the only love of my life like just so he can shag her basically so he's awful um, and he also witnesses Esmeralda dying on trial for his murder when he's alive and doesn't do anything about it. He's like, cool, and she can just die girl. for me. <laughs> and he's with another girl because he doesn't yeah. want people to know that he was injured. Like Phoebus is trash, absolute trash.
1: Would you say he's like, um, is that a typical character in in a Victor Hugo novel? Or in? A, do you think he's a, a, an archetypal sort of person in a novel character? Is he the rake? Honestly, I don't
2: know. But, I, I, like, I I haven't read Les Mis. He is a rake. He is definitely yeah, a rake. that's what I'm
1: wondering. Like, in English literature, is a rake. So in French literature, is that a very common... I don't know, because I've not studied much French literature. What was that book?
2: Uh, Far From the Madding Crowd. Oh, yeah. He's yeah. the
1: soldier in Far From the Madding Crowd. He's just
2: as trash uh, as that my... guy. Oh, right. What was that guy's yes. name? We hated him. Oh, I don't remember what his name is, but that's Ugh. the Sergeant Vibers. Troy. Yes, that's Yeah. The one. Yes, hate him. Um, But the whole thing about the book is that it's, it's meant to be showing um, m- images of monstrosity So obviously when you're reading the book Quasimodo is presented as monstrous And so is Esmeralda with the way that Sister G screams at her and treats her And gypsies are sort of portrayed in the novel as um, witches and sorcerers and um, scam artists basically and so immediately those people are portrayed as the monsters, but as the book goes on, you actually realise that the monsters are Frollo and Phoebus because they're the ones that actually are morally so corrupt that they're they, they are, they're so harmful in the book to the other characters. So I did quite like that. And I love um, the whole... It's like this whole monstrosity thing that he's presenting Quasimodo as this really sort of deformed and... Um, hideous being who actually is a really sweet person when you get to the part where he's looking after Esmeralda in Notre Dame and he's like giving her food and sleeping outside of her door to make sure that no one
1: disturbs her and like it's really really sweet alright I hate to say it now I know why you like it so much, because it's the same reason I like Frankenstein, because Frankenstein would say, I mean, the monster would exactly. say, I had so much capacity for love, but no one would let me, and so I hate um, exactly. you know, that whole line. And so now I understand why you like it so much, because it's a very much of a, a parallel to that particular thing. And that, it's absolutely Frankenstein yeah. in a different version. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and The Court of Miracles, I thought that was really, it was so interesting how as Grenoir or however you say his name gringoire, gringoire anyway as he's going through um as he's going through the court of miracles and sees like the people are like the crutches are being like the guy who was like using the crutches the now are no like been flung. all of a sudden yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the guy who yeah. can't see suddenly is looking at him in the eyes right like having yeah those i thought that was so interesting how people of class I'm you know I'm in a race gender and class class right now just different class systems how their survival mechanisms like come through like here's the class we know that this is the class of people we are this is how we're treated in the city so we have to go underground to actually be who we are and then reach out in kindness to other people who are in the same class system and grouping of people that we are I don't know like that was really interesting to me there was like a solidarity in that, in the court of Yeah,
2: Miracles, they were a family. Like, that they,
0: yeah, they look yeah. after yes. each
2: other. Yes. They, they but were, they were a family of outlaws. They were rejects from normal Parisian society. Right. So they had to, yeah, you're right. Like they had to band together. However, I don't so think I agree with scamming people out of money by pretending that you're blind.
1: Well, true. <laughs> I don't agree with that either. But it's not like, it, of course that happens, right? But it was just interesting to me how they have to, like, when, you know, it gave an insider view of how they had. To, to um how they're using what they have to survive but also i was this is so bad but now i also understand why actors and actresses at that time period were not considered sort of like this viable profession because they were sort of like the people in the court of miracles who were just acting on stage and fooling people i thought it was sort of like um that was interesting to me how because i've never understood why actors and actresses weren't seen as like this You know, it's different. in America respectable profession. So I just always wonder, like, where did that come from? But it helped me to understand, oh, that makes sense to me. Because now they were, like, acting to get the money um, to live. Um, And then I drew, it was sort of like a parallel for me.
2: There were lots of things in this book that I think were quite accurate about Paris during that time. Because Hugo wrote this book to try and encourage France to not change too much so after the French Revolution loads of the buildings were destroyed the Gothic Gothic um, architecture was being demolished because people, people just weren't into it and he also thought that the printing press was causing this destruction of yes. the traditional architecture because he said that in, in the book he talks about it often that the buildings were how people told stories the architecture on gothic buildings with the different statues and the gargles and the people and the different layers of development over hundreds of years like that's a story um so i think that because he had such a, a skin in the game of like wanting people to really uphold this traditionalism i think a lot of what he's saying must be true i don't know how true and how factual the book is but it seems like very factual in terms of the layout of Paris the different places the types of people that you would encounter like the people from the Court of Miracles like I don't think it's too
1: far-fetched to believe that most of this is has a source somewhere. Of course right and I think it makes sense that the architecture has like studying architecture that I mean I never thought about that in that way I'd have to when I like the. Another trip to Paris, I'll have to really reevaluate that and mm-hmm. some of the stuff that's there, right? Uh, is Although some stuff is gone. Yeah, well, after this book came out, because um, Notre Dame was was falling
2: apart and they weren't putting any money into re- restoring it before the book came out. After the book came out, it was so popular that the government immediately put in a massive restoration project. And so they restored the entire face of the building, all of the structural issues. And now after, whatever happened then is what you see now when you see Notre Dame. And that's all
1: because of Victor Hugo. Except now it caught on fire. <laughs> Yeah, and now it's now in another (laughs) state of repair um, I know I I I'm devastated
2: about that because I really like I know that Quasimodo is not real but I (laughs) love this book so much that I like look at the building and I just think about how much I love Quasimodo I have actually this passage I want to read you which is a segue into another topic I want to discuss so this is like one of my favourite quotes from any book ever about Quasimodo it said it says, Egypt would have taken him for the god of this temple. The Middle Ages believed him to be its demon. He was, in fact, its soul. Is that not the cutest thing you've ever heard? It's a, a lot in a line. He loves it. Yeah. It's, like, yeah. so sad, but so cute. So, what I wanted to talk about was um, how you guys feel about the relationship between Quasimodo and Notre Dame. Um,
0: I just feel like... Yeah, it's hard to miss that because he, like, he lives there. He's, like, the bell ringer. Like, he's in charge of, like, making it pretty and beautiful. And it reminded me a little bit of, um, it's because we just read it, the chimes and, like, the bells and the chimes. And I was like, oh, Quasimodo is ringing the bells. Like, he's in charge of it. And, you know. Communicate. I was picturing what's the guy's name in the chimes I can't remember (laughs) but he's like you know the chimes are speaking to me I was like no it's like Quasimodo like he's the one who's like communicating that to people on the street like he's in charge of making people feel that way yes
2: and what I what I found most fascinating about it is that like he's deaf because of the bells but he loves the bells so much but yet they've caused him to suffer because he's deaf so he can't get through life in normal society not only because of how he looks which is also for a large part caused by pulling the bells every day his muscles are deformed anyway and then it's just made it worse and whatever and I just feel like that it's like a labor of love that he without him the bells wouldn't ring but the bells cause him so much pain but he loves them so much. It's like such a weird, complicated relationship that he has with this building and with these bells.
1: Okay, can I add another layer? Yes. For me, like even that sentence that you just read, um, and I, I love English literature and medieval literature and Renaissance literature in a really warped way because I love how it shows the hypocrisy of the Christian church, which sounds really weird because I really... Um, I love you know I know that and and I you know I'm anyway I don't know if I should say that but I am a Christian <laughs> right but I love that it shows um, the, all of the flaws of like Frollo who's supposed to be like he's the the head or the, the he's an archdeacon the, view, he's the face
2: yeah. he's
1: the face of the church right but he's not the soul of the church it's really the, and so to me, that actually speaks to Christianity. Like the soul of this church is actually this poor uh, this um, poor person with deformities who can't hear, who's actually the life of, of compassion. Like the, he is the symbol of compassion and then helps spread that with the bells through the entire um, <clears throat> city. And Frollo, nobody would ever... Look at him like he is somebody who's going to reach out to them in compassion or be helpful. However, if it weren't for Frollo, tell me if this—if I'm taking this from Disney or the book—but if it weren't for Frollo, Quasimodo would not have survived.
2: Yes, which is a really weird, weird um, contradiction. Almost right. that Frollo had the compassion enough to adopt Quasimodo and not let him die, but then is not a compassionate person for the rest of the book.
1: And how do people who are in, um, I'm sorry, gonna make another little parallel here. I'm watching the last, um, the last, uh oh, I forgot what, The Kingdom. I'm watching The Last Kingdom right now. After, have you guys seen that on Netflix? Sorry, i am always like feel like I'm plugging for Netflix on here, but uh, <laughs> because the, it's talking about when the Swedes and the Danes were coming into England and taking over places. they're sort of being thugs. and it's fantastic. It's a fantastic story. But anyway, the whole thing is also about the hypocrisy of the Christian Church and how people who might have started out, like wanting to be very compassionate and helpful reaching out to Quasimodo or whatever, then the money, that they get from the, whatever those things are called, start with an I, I can never remember what they're called, that when they get the money from the church, they become corrupt with the titles and the money, and then they can't remember what it was like to actually be compassionate, reaching out to other people. I love that. I think this book is very compacted by that.
2: And on another layer, it's like corrupted by money and wealth and power, but Frollo is corrupted by love and by... Desire—it's his sin, right? Like he—he's like yeah, which is yeah, but it's like kind of—it's the same concept. Like the he maybe before he met—we don't know anything about Frollo before we're introduced to him in this book, which is when he's watching Esmeralda dance and he's falling in love with her, lust or becoming obsessive. I don't know. Yeah, so we don't know if before that point he actually was a good person, right? And then it's um, only at that moment when he's now corrupted by lust that he then becomes. Like what you're saying about these people with money and how it, it is a hypocrisy. Because he's like battling with his sin, that he doesn't want to sin by being lustful, but at the same time he's sinning constantly by just being this horrible manipulative, demonic... He murders someone.
1: or oh, Attempted murders, Phoebus. And then runs away and doesn't take responsibility for it. <laughs> but also is he not... As an archdeacon in... Is that what? Archbishop? Archdeacon, yeah. Where, yeah. Is... Is he celibate? I'm sorry. I'm just—that's a weird question. But isn't know. that part of it? But like, I
2: assume. I think he is. I yeah. think so too. And I'm like, well, duh.
0: Yeah, I assumed that. <laughs> because otherwise, yeah.
2: why would he be struggling so much with fancying Esmeralda?
1: Right. Like you give up your uh, personal pleasures, right, for like or romantic pleasures because you're serving God instead. Like that's yes. how you. But then it's such a trip up, up You know, for him. Um, I don't know. I always like that. Always confuses me about mm. leadership in the church,
2: but anyway. <laughs> the other thing I wanted to discuss is Esmeralda herself, the role of Esmeralda. That she is, we had a debate when I was studying this about who's the main character of the book because it's not really Quasimodo, it's Esmeralda. Everything in the book revolves around her, is, and there's there's arguments that it could be Gringo as well, and there were arguments for Frollo, but. I, I argued that Esmeralda's is the, the protagonist of the book Everything that happens in the book is because of And revolves around her All of the action starts because people fall in love with her But it's, it's all um, It's not like she's ever um, actioning the things that happen She's the passive subject to which things are happening to her So it's like she is the centrefold of the plot And I would say she's the protagonist But she's not like an active protagonist Things just are happening to her
1: Well, and I think Gringo, Gringo, something like that, is the, he's really just the narrator. Not really, but I mean, it seems like, right, he's the. the, Yeah, he tells the whole story, basically, of the book. Like he's so he's not the protagonist. It's like um, it's up for debate. Tobey Maguire and the Great Gatsby, right? He's like (laughs) just Nick or whatever. He's just telling the story where the Great Gatsby is actually the protagonist. Really? That was like, I think that's a parallel. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I have a hard time saying that she's the main character just because you're she doesn't do anything
2: but that is interesting though because everything in the book happens because of her but she doesn't do anything to cause the things to happen yeah but yet every single plot point is about esmeralda so it's it's a weird debate that we had we were like who
1: is the main character i don't know but it's not quasimodo but they also they're giving a woman quite a bit of power then i mean hugo is right he's giving the woman quite a bit of power by saying all these men's lives were affected Absolutely. by this woman who really wasn't even trying she was just trying to eat and be nice to her goats yeah. you know <laughs> dance with her goats <laughs>
0: Ugh, i don't know i feel like it might be the
2: opposite though she does do some stuff she does like yeah. give Quasimodo water, and she does marry Gringore, so she saves both of them. But she's out of kindness, but she's not like. But then, yeah. of
1: course, as soon as she says, "No, I'm not really going to marry you. I just did it to save your life," he gets annoyed. Right. He's like, "Why won't you sleep with me?" She's like, "Oh my god, I'm so excited! Yeah. I'm going to get a meal yeah, and a woman true. tonight." And I, and she's like, "Are you an idiot?" No, <laughs> I thought that was funny. It's not <laughs> happening. <laughs> oh, that made me laugh.
0: I don't know. I struggle with having female characters that don't do anything. And then I don't know saying that they are the protagonist or the author is then being pro female agency because she doesn't show that much agency. It's more like, I think it's more that he's revealing that the act or the desire to like obtain women makes men do crazy things or makes people do crazy things more than, women have power over men. It is more like men's desire to obtain them as objects causes problems for
2: them. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. And it's also quite similar to Les Mis. Like I was thinking about Hugo. I mean, that's the only other book I know that he wrote. And if you think about like Fontaine, I think her name is in that book, the woman that dies and her child, she gives her child to the bread man. (laughs) I want to say Hugh Jackman, (laughs) Hugh Jackman. Um, And Jean Valjean. (laughs) 42601. Yeah. There you go. (laughs) Um, And so that's kind of the same thing. Like, she doesn't really do anything at the start of that book. She's just a passive object that is being constantly battered by society. But she's the the spur for the whole plot as well. If it wasn't for her dying, nothing would
1: happen. True, but I have a comment on this. If... If ladies, we realize that power that sort of just lays dormant underneath that, my God, we could rule the world in six months. <laughs> because if we're passively going through life, characters, people, females, whatever, and men are so like, oh my God, now I'm not saying that any, you know, he, men have probably thought that about you all. I'm saying like Esmeralda, right? As like Fro- I'm just saying, right? I'm not. Anyway, as Frollo was like, oh my god, Esmeralda, if men are really looking at women who have no idea that that's going on and they're thinking that, if women actually just held on to that, we could be like, But the women in
0: literature that do that are the villains.
1: Yes. Oh,
0: why? Like, it's Lady Macbeth, right? The women, the women that acknowledge that they have power over men are yeah, villains. but she doesn't
1: like... do good things with it. She doesn't, like, feed the children and teach everyone how I to know. read. She, like, kills, wants to kill other people so she can have more power. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know. Just instead of, like, doing the other stuff that she could do, women could be benevolent leaders and still rule men by... Mm, saying no. <laughs> just like,
0: where's our example though? Where's our example?
2: Do we have a book that we've read where that happens and then maybe not far from the
1: madding crowd? Oh my crowd god, Lady Macbeth! Question? I can't believe you just used her maybe. as
0: the. <laughs> it's true though, right? Like she knows she's got power over people, but she uses it for evil.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're right, but you know what? But in far from the madding crowd, she doesn't. She gets tripped up in her own lust for the man. Uh, yeah, it's actually kind of the same plot, but backwards. Well, I I just think, like, the women, they're making a commentary on Frollo, like, um, being so desirous of a woman that then he can't really even, I mean, he can't function. And that causes so many things.
2: Yeah, that song in the Disney movie, Hellfire, is so spot on for this book. Like, I think they're, those they're two completely separate things, but that song is, like, a perfect summation of Frollo It's so good. If they got
0: nothing else right. That was the one Frollo thing they right. got right. <laughs> yeah.
2: That was the one thing
1: they I was disappointed well. that there were no real gargoyles. Like they didn't come alive and start dancing. Because <laughs>
2: well, Quasi- they just keep calling Quasimodo the gargoyle in the book, which is shame, like really just really sad. Yeah. Like when he we didn't even talk about but Frollo has a younger brother and it, during the siege of Notre Dame when the vagabonds are trying to rescue Esmeralda the younger brother of Frollo um, tries to attack Quasimodo and he's on the top of Notre Dame and he's looking for Quasimodo and Quasimodo's disguised as one of the gargoyles. And then he actually ends up throwing this guy uh, uh, on the wall of Notre Dame and killing him. It's quite hectic, but um, yeah, it's like using his facade, his... Ugly facade for, um, for his own
1: benefit, there. Yeah. <laughs> At least. Okay, my favorite thing is that you called it hectic. Like, it's such. Like, I'm not around English speaking people, English accented, and British heritage people anymore. And so that understatement of he kills this man, it's so hectic. <laughs> it is hectic. <laughs> hectic. <laughs> it's the understatement that just made me laugh. Okay, it's very sad that to Cosi- mm-hmm. kill somebody who was going to kill him. He was in a defensive position. Um, but... He was, yeah. He was. And
2: this is the thing with Quasimodo as well, is that he's never an aggressive... He's not an aggressor. He's always the defender. So he's he acts in what seem like violent ways to defend what he loves. And in that whole scenario, it's like these people are attacking his church. It's what he loves. And he desecrates the face of the church by pouring... I don't remember what it was, some like hot liquid down the church and smashing things with the logs to kill the vagabonds. But... He's, and he's being violent out of defense. He's not being violent out of hatred. It's only when he pushes Frollo off Notre Dame at the end of the book where you could
1: say he's just being he was just being violent. Know, he's probably ticked off with the whole thing, right? hes I mean, everybody has their push points. I mean, not to that. I mean, not that we're all going to go and oh, kill somebody later. <laughs> Ooh, I that's not that's what, not what, what mean. Mean. That's just what it sounded in. like. You know what I mean. We all have, like, our... <laughs> tipping point. We all
0: get to that point where we're Quasimodo and we want to push Frollo off the <laughs> I mean,
1: would just, you know, a matter of... But uh, he can.
0: Yeah. And you're not mad at him in the book.
1: No. It's karma. Yeah. But he... Yeah,
2: his, like, physical strength is, is spoken about a lot as... Is... Something he's like, I don't know. It's like the way he's described is like awe inspiring. Like, he's so strong, he could do the bells, he can swing from tower to tower and from gargle to gargle and jump across big gaps in the building and all this like amazing stuff. But it's all described in a way that's like, this is bad. Like, we don't want someone that is this physically able to do these things that looks like him. Like, it's not okay that he can do that but look the way he does. But if you look like Phoebus, exactly. If you look like Phoebus, you're fine.
0: It, like, reminds me a little bit of Lenny from Of Mice and Men. Oh, yeah. Where he's just, like, got so much strength and, like, an unassuming personality.
1: Well, it's the same same as the monster in Frankenstein, who's been made to, like, he's so strong and he can do whatever. But he knows, and he knows that he can, but he withholds. Like, he could smash his, you know, Dr. Frankenstein in a second, but he doesn't.
2: And that's a, another similar parallel is the, the creator Yeah, created versus creator. So Frollo essentially created who Quasimodo is as a person, and they speak in sign language that they've made up just between the two of them and things like that. The same way that Doctor Frankenstein created the monster, and then that that relationship, the tension between that relationship is also quite interesting. And
1: it's it's interesting that they're father and father because a mother would that would be different. Like a mother would. Well, we've
2: got Esmeralda right. and Sister G right. in this, which is the only like mother-daughter pairing in this book, which is very, very different, but also very toxic. So, and actually, can we talk a bit about that because that that whole plotline I found really interesting. That Sister G is <laughs> so she her daughter just disappears. I know I'm not saying her no, name. No, that's great. I, I love that it. you're
1: saying Sister
2: G. <laughs> so her daughter disappears 15 years prior at one years of age. All she has left of her daughter is this amazing little delicate beautiful shoe. Because she's so crazy because she thinks that the gypsies have taken and stolen and eaten her child, she locks herself in like a cage at the corner of a square and just screams at everyone that goes past her every day and like rants and raves about how much she hates the gypsies all the time and just like condemns herself to death in this like little cage because her daughter disappeared. Which is just a weird, like it's just very weird anyway. um. And then that it's the shoe that makes her and Esmeralda realise that they are mother and daughter because Esmeralda has the other shoe in a little um, purse around her neck, a little thing around her neck, like a little um, sack that she is on a necklace. And the shoe is what makes them realize that they're mother-daughter. And then it's like the switch. Because five minutes before, Sister G is screaming at Esmeralda, I can't wait to see you hang. I'm going to let the guards catch you like you filthy heathen. You ate my daughter. And then two seconds later, she's like, oh no, jokes, you are my daughter. So now I'm going to try to save you. Like it just didn't,
1: it was just a big change. Oh my gosh, do you know what? There are so many parallels to that and other things. Like, I didn't know, like, that thing, right? I was thinking about the Locket and Annie. in um, the whole musical where that's where they kind of have the tie-in, to, and there's trickery with that. And then, sorry, I'm thinking about movies and, and uh, musicals, but then also in Anastasia, where they find out, oh, and it has to do with yes. this, like, second of a memory with a smell, where they're like, oh. Like, and they don't yes. like her. They're like, she's an imposter. Get her out and of they here. And they've got that locket. And oh, then, I love And Anastasia. then they do that whole thing. And they're like, the grandma's like, oh my gosh. Like, it is you. Uh, and they weren't willing mm. to look at all the other pieces around it until there's like the one last clue to something.
2: Yeah. And it's like, what came first? Like, this happened. Like, this story came before all of those other interpretations or did this plot line
1: exist before i don't know but for sure those people borrowed from this plot line right like for sure and
0: it's It's... all women so i wonder if there's a connection between like a material representation of because it's all things right you have a locket you have a shoe well
1: they're symbolic of something that reminds you of your family or the only thing that you have left of that person or something but
0: yeah but they're all women like it's a
1: the you other know? thing is that the women in
2: this book it's like the woman is a violent evil crazy like cretin because of this trauma that happened to her instead of approaching that with sympathy from other people as well other people like shun her and they throw her scraps of their food and like she she condemns herself to being treated as this horrible went like miserable woman which is also just I don't know I don't understand that it's it's like the two women in this book are the miserable crazy old lady and the young, beautiful, doe. But it's like the flop
1: out of Frollo and Quasimodo, sort of. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's it like a father and yeah. son and mother and daughter. Even though it's just an adoptive son, but it's, you know, still, it's his only dad, right? So, same thing. Um, so, yeah. like, where the although the lady is, she's acting out of fear and hatred and s- sorrow. Um, But she has a beautiful daughter who redeems her where Frollo doesn't... There's no redeeming for Frollo. Like, his son actually has to kill him in the end.
2: That's true, because at least Sister G, you know, she doesn't die at the end of the book, but her last act with her daughter is protecting her from being put to death, which she fails at, but shame. At least she tried. Right. But this also ties into the whole... We talk about this often, but um, the whole thing about orphans is esmeralda for all intensive purposes throughout the book is an orphan because she doesn't know that she doesn't think that she has a mother and she finds her home in the court of miracles and quasimodo is also an an orphan really he's adopted but he we was... always
1: have a theme of orphan especially in the 1800s right just because of um, the yeah. necessity to to live where people couldn't take care of their children. Um, I was thinking about the female characters in Les Mis, if there were any parallels, if Victor Hugo, how he's writing women. Like cause, um, Cosette, right, in Les Miserables, she's very much like a very protected girl who loses her mother under dire circumstances. I don't know, I was just thinking about how he's kind of writing different roles for women. Like sure, a... sorry,
2: can I just interject for two seconds? I just yeah. Googled it. Les Mis came out in 1862, 30 way later. years after way later. The Hunchback of Notre Dame.
1: Wow, that's
0: way later. I mean, both are like massive books. <laughs> it just took him a long time to
1: write them. So then it would have been borrowed <laughs> the other years. way. Yes. Right? Like he would have been borrowing female yeah. themes from Hunchback rather than, yeah, to Les Mis rather than Les Mis to, to Hunchback so maybe his, cuz his female characters are way more tragic in um Mids. Yes, it just got worse yeah so it's not like they're not that i mean they're tragic but by their own invention in Punchback would you say like the the would you call her sister G she's like she's tragic by her own agency
2: i mean it's like it's sad because it's like well what what do you do when you lose a child when they're 1 years old like you know that's that sad and everyone reacts to that differently but i do think she, yeah she's she causes her own she's no one put her in a cage you know she chose to live that life that's that's her decision
0: yeah i'm trying to think if there is like some sort of i'm sure there is about like a mother who is unable to mother her child and then her being in a cage
1: what could be metaphoric not like she's yeah
0: yeah like there's something there of her own making too right like she,
1: But she's not unable to mother
2: her child. She just, well, I guess, I mean, sorry, I thought you meant unable in the sense of like, she's a bad mother.
0: No, no, no. Like her baby is not there. And if you think that a woman's role is to be a mother, like that's why women are put on this earth.
1: Then what happens when that's gone? Right. Yeah. But even if you can't, if you're a woman who cannot take care of your children because you're unable, the opposite, you know, sort of the, the same thing, but because you are, um, truly you lack the capacity of doing it um then you're in a metaphoric cage rather than a real cage so that was actually pretty clever because you can't fulfill your your role as a mom anyway
2: and the other thing about this is maybe not so much with the motherhood but esmeralda is is sort of metaphorically in a cage when she gets in when she gets stuck in notre dame and she can't leave and if she leaves she's going to be put to death And so that beautiful cathedral becomes her prison, her cage as well. And she's in prison most of the book as well. She's in jail cell after jail cell, being tortured and whatever. So it's like, actually, all the women are just in
1: prison. They're just in a cell the whole time. Okay, so that in (laughs) itself, right, is its own commentary on a female role in the 1800s. Like, if you're only if your only identity is being able to take care of your daughter and then your daughter is right. taken away from you and we don't know, you know, she, and she's, um, on her own anyway, as a rejected female, right. The, the mom, then, um, he, now I feel like we would have to dig into that quite a lot to think <laughs> truly to like, he's really putting, yeah. he's really saying something about female yeah. roles, but in on a, in a class system, Yes, yeah. and do you
2: know that's one thing that I don't remember us ever, like, touching on when I studied this. It was, I'm sure we touched on it, but we were so much more focused on the architecture and the history and Quasimodo himself that, that he, I never thought about the fact that he could be saying a lot about the women. Well, it's unusual. never crossed my mind.
0: Well, and, like, women women are usually put in two categories, right? Like, um, the mother or the selectress object of sexual desire. And Yes, Esmeralda is put in a Which is prison, exactly what we have. right? Because she's rejecting unwanted attention. Like, she doesn't want it, so she's put in a prison throughout the novel. She
2: only wants attention from Phoebus, and he won't give it to her. So she's rejecting everything right. else,
1: and is punished for it. But he's also right—the rakish lord who could save her. I just think like it's—it's it's really interesting that they're only talking about a particular class. Um, selection where the females are they're not talking about upper class women at this particular time we're only talking about not even business class we're talking about lower class women and how really they have nowhere to go
2: yeah there's like there's like two yeah there's like two very small sections where there's these three very wealthy women that walk past sister g's cage and then walk past esmeralda and they they comment slightly yeah they very con- and they comment just on that and then that's it so i guess that's kind of there to make a bit of a parallel but we don't get to go into detail about that and phoebus's woman that he ends up getting engaged to and marries which i also love is that um when they're doing like a summary of after the events, like what happened to the characters. And in the book, it's like Phoebus had a far worse fate. He was married. <laughs> um, but he, um she's, he's also marrying quite a, a upper class woman too.
1: That's, it's actually so sad. Like he's making a serious commentary.
2: And, and there's that scene, sorry, um, you're just reminding me where Esmeralda um, is dancing and Phoebus calls her over when he's with this woman and three other um, rich ladies. And um, he calls Esmeralda over to them while she's dancing. And they all again just like make comments and say like, oh, she's beautiful, but look at her, like, look at her clothes, you know. But so again, and I
1: feel like they describe her this way, not directly, like they did Quasimodo, right? But how she because of her movements and she's not the one that's doing action maybe but uh her journey and because whenever i see her i always see movement she's moving from here to here to here to here um but she's then sort of the if quasimodo is the soul of notre dame then she's actually the soul of sort of the under everybody's saving her or she's causing all the stuff then she becomes the soul of sort of the underground of paris yes
2: the heathens basically
1: (laughs) Oh, <laughs> and then they they're found together at the end. Yeah, that's actually very a sweet ending.
2: But it's like really creepy if you think about it. Like she's been hung. Yeah, I know it is she's buried and as and Quasimodo finds her grave
1: and just dies next to her. Oh, I see. Because she showed like him his only real kindness by giving him Yes.
2: Over. So it's really sweet that he he is he's he's so in love with her and it's a good parallel too between lust, like the ways that men in this book react to lust. Phoebus just rejects and moves on and finds the next one. Frollo becomes obsessive and crazy and all the things. And Quasimodo becomes compassionate and wants to almost like woo her in the only way he knows how by giving her food and looking after her while she's in Dame and saving her from death. Um, so that's, I find that it's interesting the three different ways that they they exhibit lust. But I do think that when he goes and chooses to die next to her like that's, it's really sad, but it's also absolutely nuts. It's like shame this poor person was so lost in their way and had no idea what kindness and normalcy looked like that they thought that that was like an okay thing to do. I, that's so it's sad. really, really, it's a really profoundly sad ending.
1: And what about, I think about people with severe disabilities um, and it's hard to like, um, you know, it's hard to step into those shoes um, because I don't, right? So like, it's hard to go, how does that person live life? And and of course, this is a fictitious character, but Quasimodo then really um, had, like really her giving him water was like... Enough. That was the only act of kindness that, that was spoke so deeply to him. I did in the beginning in my book, I don't know if you guys had this, I had commentary where... Um, Victor Hugo wrote it because there was some etchings on the wall inside of Notre Dame, and that he like com- this whole wrote this whole story because he invented, just by being there, seeing the 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 inscription or whatever that was etched into the wall, and like, what was there really a a Quasimodo? Was there really a hunchback?
2: There's some story about some guy that lived in Notre Dame and was the bell ringer and was death and that person was real and did live during the 15th century. But I don't know if it would be the extent to which Hugo's like um, made Quasimodo seem so uh, deformed in that, I don't think, I feel like that's not the right word to use either, but you know what I mean? Like, um, yeah, like I I think that 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 story is like a folk tale, almost like that folk tale existed that this person did, there was someone that rang the bells
1: but so the rest he's just the embellishing, stuff. he's embellishing on piecing together different stories of, of uh, Paris's history. Yeah, well does that not go
2: back to his whole point of the book, is that the buildings are the things that told the stories, the buildings in Paris, the gothic oh, architecture, does. like gothic yes. revival was massive after this book came out, but like that he's gone to the building, seen something that's been there for however many hundreds of years, next to a stone that's a thousand years, next to a brand new piece, because it's this amalgamation of all these different parts of history, that building and so um that's exactly what he's trying that's to do really is cool. he's trying to get us to look at the buildings yeah, like but
0: he had to write a book about it like he could have built his own building to yeah, get up but yeah.
2: he had to use the even though he's saying the yeah. printing press is ruining this whole thing yeah. i'm gonna write a book and use the printing press to tell you that you shouldn't be yes. using the printing press yeah. <laughs> i love <But> it what? <laughs> oh i love the contradiction but I think, I mean, the sentiment, the sentiment is really cute. Like, I really enjoy the sentiment of the buildings are history. Like, I've always loved old oh, buildings. God. I mean, us in Edinburgh, we saw these incredible and lived in incredibly old buildings. God knows what history happened there. Like, I loved. I love that sentiment that you, like, you know you can be in a room and you don't know what stories passed in this room because he like compares often to the Notre Dame of the 1800s and the Notre Dame of the, 5th, the um, 1400s in the book as well he does parallels between those and it's like when you stand in this room in the 1800s you don't know that this is the room where this thing happened with Quasimodo and Esmeralda and whatever like the history exists in that space but we're just not I think he's trying to say like we're not we don't care enough to be aware of it but we should care because the buildings are the history of where you live.
1: Well, and also like the, the people who seemingly were discarded, they have really meaningful, intense stories and lives within those structures. Um, I don't know if you, one time I heard Viola Davis, you know who that is uh, in America. She said the stories that are really the most impactful and that we really should be telling are the ones from the graveyard. Oh, oh wow. That
0: feels very Scotlandy.
1: Oh, but that was an that was part of her acceptance <laughs> speech for an Oscar that she won, and I thought, I thought, wow, because that's really like those stories are so forgotten. But think about like how. Well, that's what people do when they're writing stories, right? It's sort of resurrecting, like some piecing together somebody's story in the past, but they're able to put it into a uh, historical context with the structures i don't know sort of sort of <laughs> let me let me just say that um, victor hugo is sort of brilliant <laughs> <laughs> maybe just a little bit <laughs> no but that's really cool to think of um people like that and that could be everywhere yeah well it is everywhere yeah Like we could make up a story about your room grace in edinburgh what really happened
2: there? <laughs> well, I mean, I was living in the attic of a building from the 1690s. Like, God only knows what happened in that yeah, room.
0: in your little I, spiral
2: stairs, Dude, I slept with the light on for the first, like, two months I was living in that room because I was so scared of the ghosts. I was like, there's no way that really? there's not a ghost here. There has to be. There has to be. And I know that I, I shouldn't believe in ghosts, but, I, you know, in that scenario, <laughs> I was like, they might be real, and if they're real, I'll find out here, and I don't want to find out.
1: <laughs> right? Well, if there's ghosts anywhere, it would be in be in edinburgh that's for sure for yes. their, um, <laughs> but didn't was it who had the hannah was it you or grace who had the remember they came in and they were working in your room and then there was like this panel and between oh, that was the me. panel and the actual building was like a massive space it wasn't yes. small <laughs> no it was like, like between what? the wood what and the brick on? wall yeah yeah I'm like what went on in that space before (laughs) I don't know I thought that was that was that creeped me out when I was in there not the spiral staircase (laughs) or the attic is the the separation of the wall because I thought how many people are like in the walls in here
2: (laughs) oh my god yes and
1: and like that building was
2: so old and then they just they just made it in I think it was in like the 80s or something they just plasterboarded the whole building and we're like cool this is going to be a residence now and it's like but you've you've also taken away the the connection to the original building too. So now it just feels so like bland. Like the like the the history of that building is gone when you step into that building. Although the front door was still an old, like three hundred year old door. But so cool. The inside was very manicured.
1: So think about like stepping back and just piecing together a story just in your building. Like with the door. How many people have gone into that door? And that would make it a... You could see how, like, that would that would have... I don't know, maybe that's what stimulated Hugo, right?
2: Yeah, because it's so fascinating. And, like, especially, I think, when back then, when he was in Paris, like, putting myself in his shoes, and he's looking at Notre Dame, which is, like, you can see the part of the building from the 1100s, you can see for it from the 1400s, and so on. And he's just looking at it falling apart. Like, you would start to think, but hold on a minute, like, this has been here for... So- it's like St. Giles Cathedral, you look at St. in Edinburgh, you looked at that and you knew that there were parts of that building that were there from the 1100s. And you would go, OK, but like what happened here or um, or like Stirling Castle when we went there and there was like that part of the building that was there from like the 900s, the bricks. And you're like, this is so crazy. Like how many people have engaged with this? So right. I think,
1: And what stories do the stones have to tell? That they can't, because that's exactly what he's saying, right? Mm-hmm. Is the, exactly. story, the, the, the buildings have stories, and that's
2: almost why I think like Quasimodo is so cool, because he's created a a, a voiceless person that can tell the story of Notre Dame without having a voice to tell the story. Oh. Like he's he can't yeah, hear, clever. he can't he can't speak because he's deaf, and yet he's the person that is the soul of that building that brings that building to life. Is that person like that's weird? Oh. It's actually very romantic. It's a very romantic book. Like, it's super, super sweet and cute and profound, and I love it. I love this book. (laughs) But did you guys, I mean, did you enjoy reading it? I know that there are parts of it that are really, really dull, but did you enjoy reading it? I did. I,
0: I feel like I finished this book and was like, I feel like I need to read it again, like, immediately, because I was like, there's just so much in the descriptions and so much happening that I know I missed things that I feel like it, it needs two read
1: throughs. <laughs> I, I didn't. Okay. So right Confessing here. I didn't read the whole thing cause I didn't get through the whole thing, but at the same time I already knew like as I was doing the first part and combing through everything, it felt so dense to me that I'm like, I'm never going to get this, the, this read. Like, it's going to have to be, like, two or three times,
2: (laughs) you know, where I go,
1: oh, there's this? Because you're going to, you know, just like any other book that we read, where, like, once you read it, especially if you've not read it before, you're like, oh, right, now I don't understand this or this or this, or what is the connection between this and this? Um which is why we love reading but we've read we've
2: read a lot of like quite big books in this podcast Like we did Anna Karenina Karina and we did Middlemarch and I feel like I left those not feeling like I didn't know as much if that makes sense like this book I was like there's so much in here that I like there's a whole section about King Louis the 11th I think it is like I don't know anything about that guy who was he what did he do I don't know so I feel like there was so much more in this that I want to investigate compared to right. those books. But maybe that's just where your interest
1: lies. Well, and makes sense that it would because there's, well, because it's a romantic novel. We like those. We like the ones that are, right? <laughs> and sometimes in realism, there's not quite as yeah. much to explore as when it's more uh, fantastical. Yeah. Is that bad?
2: No, I think that's true. I, well, I, I think where our like, interest lies a bit more. And we also love right. books about outcasts. Weirdly, yeah, <laughs> we, we do. do. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I mean, I studied it as I said for like a whole semester, yeah. and I still. This was, I mean, probably like my third or fourth time. Well, I mean, I probably maybe only my second time like reading it cover to cover. But I, I wrote essays on this book, so you know when you, you're familiar with it because you're reading paragraphs and sections of it constantly for your paper. Um, and even I still found there was so much that I didn't, I forgot about and I didn't remember and I didn't know and I wanted to just do so much more research about it.
1: All right, let me ask a question. Yeah, I was going to
0: say... Go ahead. Sorry, hold on, really quick. I was going to say because Grace said that she did this for a whole semester and my first thought was like one book for a whole semester is a lot, but with this book, you I could yeah. like read a whole semester. <laughs> you have to. Yeah. Like a whole semester of Middlemarch would be annoying it would. I yes. feel like. Like I, I liked Middlemarch, but that would be annoying. This one would be... You could do a whole semester on this one. It'd be okay. Yeah, and
2: I actually, I should go back and look through my notes again, because I'm sure there's so much there that I've just completely forgotten we spoke about, because my version of the book, I've got writing on nearly every single page, like things underlined, sticky notes, all from class. Um,
1: But I should go back and find my notes and see. Okay, so I had to do a whole semester on Frankenstein. I don't know if I told you guys that. We had to look at a whole semester on Frankenstein in my undergrad. The book's not even like 200 pages. Well, we looked at it from like the feminist perspective, the historic perspective, the psychological perspective. We looked at it from all these different literary perspectives of um, criticism so that's what we were doing when we were writing and writing and writing and writing which is why it's one of my favorite books right it's the same thing but Hannah, what's like if we talk about that because both grace and i are like we love outcasts T- what is your favorite book is it connected to outcasts
2: if you say the great gatsby i will end this call right now <laughs>
1: <laughs> no the great gatsby is not my favorite that book. is not your it is favorite not book. my favorite book no <laughs>
2: oh thank god no.
1: It's okay to like it.
2: I just tease her because she does actually like it and I don't like I it. I do actually
0: like that book. But it's not my favorite. Uh, I don't know what my favorite book is. Is
2: it Pamela? I do
0: really lo- I do really love Pamela. <laughs> no, my instinct is to say Pride and Prejudice. But that's not really a book about an outcast.
2: Well, it, well I mean, it is to an extent. She's a little bit yeah. of a weird egg in her family.
0: That's true. Yeah, probably Pride and Prejudice. But I don't know if it's my, like, the book I think is the best written, but I do think it's
2: my favorite. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Whereas I think that this book was also really well written, but at the same time, I'm very much aware of the fact that it's an English translation. So it's like, I don't know how well this was written in French,
1: but in English, it's good. Don't you wonder that? Like Anna Karenina too, right? We read the translation of that. If you don't, if you don't read Russian and French, it's hard to know. Like, there's so much is lost in translation. You can't deny that. I mean, yeah. it just
2: is. And I feel like you're losing such a big essence of the book when you're not reading it in the language it was written in. But whoever, I think, translated this did a great job. Like, I think I think it is pretty accurate. And there's, um, the language has done really, really well. Because Anna Karina, I kind of found that there were parts of it where it wasn't well written. Like, sentences were just... They weren't... Structured nicely. But,
0: like, do you think you would? That
2: there wasn't a point to each sentence. If you read a different you know?
0: translation, if you would have liked it better. Because there's different translations. So then you're like, which translation do you pick? Which one? Do so this you... is the
2: other thing, is that this book isn't very popular nowadays. It's way outshadowed by Les Mis, so no one even knows that Victor Hugo wrote this book. People don't even know that it is a book. It's not popular nowadays. But when it was released, it was so popular. And that's why I think maybe we're not having an issue with the translation, is because it hasn't actually been translated that many times, because it's, there isn't a market for it. It's not that popular. Whereas Anna Karina, there's so many people that want to read that book in so many different countries and places that there's a market to keep retranslating as you go right but not so much here
1: and lame is is because because it's so I don't know
2: why that's more popular than this I feel like it's longer it's more complicated it is a wonderful story and I really do want to read it because I love the movie but I feel like they're kind of like they seem just as good as each other so I don't know why this book isn't popular
0: I wonder if it has to do with the time in which it was published, right? Because Les Mis was, you said, thirty years later, so maybe there was just a different market. Yeah, but now, like
2: nowadays, why have we chosen to
1: focus on Les Mis?
0: Well, if it was popular there, it make it would make sense that that's the one that like stuck around.
1: I think that I think Les Mis is also shows like very complex female characters, like their situations and plights, and so where Hunchback doesn't necessarily have those. Um, which is probably why Les Mis is maybe more red.
2: Yeah, and also the um, the time in which it's set. Like people are way more interested in the French Revolution than they are medieval France.
1: Yes, true.
2: Like no one cares about the fourteen hundreds, but seventeen hundreds. Everyone's like, "Woo,
1: sign me up, let's go!" <laughs> right. I like the fourteen hundreds. Oh yeah, you've
2: always liked medieval stuff, though.
1: <laughs> I do. I do. I don't know why. I'd... I would have, you know, what, if I could have, I would have gotten a degree in a medieval and in Renaissance and in what we did. I would have gotten all three. But at some point, you have to stop going to school and work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> I really
2: would have which is because uh, I don't have the same interest, I think, in other time periods of lit. It doesn't interest me as much as like, other <laughs> stuff. but final thoughts then, what are you what were your final thoughts about this book?
0: I loved it, I really liked it a lot.
2: I'm so glad you loved
0: it. <laughs> yeah, I really liked it a lot.
1: and you know what, Grace, even if like I and I was I'm, I wanted to read it because it is your favorite book, like I wanted to know because that tells me something about you. Like, and so I'm just glad that you shared it with us and wanted us to read it.
2: Well, I'm so happy that you did. Thank you for giving it a go and picking up the (laughs) doorstopper.
0: I will read it again. A hundred percent. Me too.
2: Agreed. Oh, I'm so happy. Okay, good. Because next month we're doing a book that I absolutely hate and Hannah enjoys. (laughs) So this is, we're doing a complete 180. (laughs) So we're going to read Wuthering Heights oh yay <laughs> it's a great book <laughs> and I, I brought this up with my friend who's who's currently doing his master's in um sort of historical archaeology but it's more like architecture and sociology so he also loves hunchback of notre dame but he i said oh we we're reading *Wuthering heights and he was like oh what a great book and i was like no i do not feel that way but i'm open <laughs> to having my mind changed with this right. one. I love
1: it. I think it's a great I, book.
0: It's been a long time since I've read it so I'm excited to read it again and see how thoughts have changed since like doing our masters and yes. you know.
1: Okay.
2: Cool. Well then um, then yeah Feb. We'll see everyone chat to everyone towards the end of Feb. Please follow us on Instagram at BookBosomPodcast and yeah if you want to read Wuthering Heights please read it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Happy Valentine's Day.
2: Oh God. Oh my gosh. Let's not let's not go into that. Let's not even no. <laughs>
1: I was trying to think of the next thing that was coming up.
2: Well, we'll, we'll touch base on Valentine's Day at the end of Feb, but when we read Wuthering Sounds Heights. that's good. <laughs> Such
0: a romantic, <laughs> loving book. <laughs>
1: okay, bye. bye. Okay, bye. bye.